I never want my team to think that I'm not an equal, that I'm not, yeah, I might be the CEO and I might, you know, ultimately, you know, write their paychecks, but I also want them to know that I am a team player and that I am right there with them in the trenches and will step in and get the work done. Um, and that, you know, there are things you have to put in place. You have to prepare for whatever that win is. You know, I know what I want my win to be, but I also know that that's years away and you have to put in all the preparation first and you have to get your foundation and you have to, um, work the long hours and really invest in what you're doing um, in order to, to, to get that win. And, uh, and that's almost more important than the ultimate end goal is all of those hours that you're putting in on the front end. Heroes are an inspiring group of people, every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I'm live on the line with Lindsay Corbin. Lindsay, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. So glad to have you here, Lindsay. Um, so uh, what I want to do real quick, Lindsay, is dive into your, uh, your bio so people know who you are and what it is that you do. So Lindsay Corbin is a trademark industry expert with over 15 years of experience encompassing both in-house and big law. And in 2020, which is last year in the middle of a pandemic, you founded Delegate.Legal. Um, and Lindsay's a highly qualified paralegal who's been assisting attorneys across the country and has overseen Fortune 500 trademark portfolios, brand protection programs, and successfully helped build legal policies. Um, so with with all of that, my question sort of is, what is it that um, Delegate.Legal does? Who are your like primary clients? What What is it that you help people do? Sure. Yes. Thank you for having me. Um, so Delegate.Legal is a virtual IP paralegal firm. So... IP being intellectual property, so patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And we work with law firms and corporations all over the country to handle their trademark needs, work with their patent uh, filings, and prepare any copyright applications. Um, and we are, most of our clients are small firms or solo practitioner attorneys. Um, and then we do also serve a role with some in-house legal departments when they just need a short-term contract assignment or need some assistance with some overflow work, we are there to help. Um, and we are all senior level uh, paralegals, so we don't have to be trained to, to do our jobs, um, which makes us really beneficial because we can just step in and assume responsibility. Awesome. So do you guys ever go direct to market with your services as well? Like we have a... Uh an e-commerce brand, could we hire you to do trademark work or would we need to go through a lawyer who would then hire your services? I'm just, just curious how that works. Right. So we technically cannot provide trademark services directly to the consumer. 
Um, we do get phone calls from consumers where we can uh, point them to the trademark office website. Um, you don't need an attorney to file your trademark application, but it is highly recommended. Um, and so when we get those phone calls, we do uh, refer them to some of our clients. Um, so we might end up working with that individual, but not directly. Okay. So you do work almost exclusively with other lawyers. Um, so you don't work directly with the end market. Correct. We are not, uh, attorneys ourselves. Um, and so we are, if we did that, we would be walking a line of something called unauthorized practice of law, which would be a really bad idea for us. Um, so we do work strictly with attorneys and, uh, you know, in-house legal teams that have attorneys. Awesome. So what I want to talk about then is, uh, how you got into this business. I noticed, um, you know, on your, uh, your bio, you started this last year. Um, and we talk on this show, every good comic book hero has an origin story, right? It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And we want to sort of hear that story. Were you born a hero, um, right? Or were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you wanted to start, um, you know, delegate that legal, <laughs> um, or did you start in a job as a paralegal and eventually move to starting your own business? Basically want to know where you came from. How did you, how did you get this business off the ground? Sure. So if we go way back to the beginning of time, uh, or when I graduated from college, um, I wanted to go to law school. I thought that I was going to be an attorney and I took the law school admissions test, the LSAT, um, and I didn't do very well on it. Um, I did okay, but at that time, um, I was living in a big city with very competitive law schools and didn't get in twice. Um, and so when I didn't get in, I needed to, or I, you know, I wanted to figure out where my career was going to go. And I uh, was very fortunate to get a position at a law firm in Atlanta with an attorney who uh, let me learn trademarks. She was a trademark attorney and um, she could see that I was a self-starter, that I wanted to go teach myself. Um, I, I really love doing the research and kind of finding the answers on my own before asking the question. And so that's what I started doing. And I really fell in love with trademarks. Um, I then um, had a couple different career jumps uh, into different law firms and then into big corporations, all staying within trademarks. Um, and then unintentionally, about 10 years ago, I got a phone call from an, from an attorney who said, we don't have enough work to really sustain a trademark paralegal full-time, but would you be interested in just doing some freelance contract work? And I said, sure, no big deal. Um, so that was my first foray into this, um, not really paying attention or being aware of really the full ramifications of that, that this could be a thing. And so then I continued on my career. I actually spent four and a half years working in private equity um, on a legal team there. Um, more in the franchise space even, so a, a, a tiny bit out of the trademark world, but um, really always had that entrepreneur uh, spirit. I, you know, when you work in private equity and especially when you're dealing with franchisees and franchises, you're seeing individuals who are risking their life savings to start a business and to really do something for themselves. And that's inspiring. Yeah. And um, when the pandemic hit in uh, March of 2020. Um, I was sent home uh, to work to work remote, 
and actually got a phone call and my salary was reduced because uh, most of our uh, franchise uh, franchisees and our franchise systems had also taken a financial hit at that point. Um, and so I just got a phone call from uh, a colleague that said, Hey, we have an attorney who could really use some help uh, from a trademark paralegal with a lot of experience. Do you have any bandwidth? And I went, well, sure. I've been doing this for 10 years, like yeah. no big deal. I'm happy to help out. And then slowly throughout the summer, I started really observing, um, the need for strong trademark paralegals, um, to help in some of these other firms. And so I, um, woke up one morning literally, uh, and said, my name is going to be delegate.legal. Like I just, I just came up with it. Um, and then I went after the logo and then I sort of put all the wheels in motion and it's been, uh, an overwhelming eight months or so. In a good <laughs> so, way. so you went from just the, the pandemic sort of inspired you to start a business to actually get into running, running, uh, your legal skills through the entrepreneur lens, if that makes sense. It did, you know, working from home for that extended period of time was really, um, a mind shift. Right. I had gone from this incredibly busy uh, private equity world where you're running, you know, a mile a minute every single day. Um, you're on call constantly. You know, if the managing partner wants something, you have to get it done um, to then working from home where I could do all of that. Um, but then I also got to spend a little bit more time with my family. Um, and so I thought, well, how can I how can I use this as an opportunity to continue to stay home, um, maybe slow down my life, which I'm sure we'll get to ironically did not happen. Um, but then, you know, continue to enjoy this, this new world, um, <laughs> you know, post pandemic or, or current pandemic. I don't even know, or I don't even know if we can say post pandemic yet, but, um, so it really came about as just, product of, of COVID, product of sitting at home and wanting to think about what's next. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what I'm I'm curious about is how how big of an impact do you think this is like industry wide for the legal the legal world that the pandemic has just changed the way laws being practiced and people who are doing work like you were doing are starting having to come up with new ways to work in the system? Or or are you sort of unique in that um, in what you've done? I think that's a fantastic question. Um, and something that I've actually frequently debated with my colleagues in the legal field. Um, I believe that the pandemic has changed the legal field as we know it. I think that clients want a, deliver a different delivery of services, a different style of delivery of services. I think that they don't expect that the law firm has a fancy you know, 20th floor, 100th floor, whatever lobby for them to go meet their attorney. Um, I think that everybody can now come to the table in a slightly different manner in a good way. You know, it's not, you're not expected to sit at your desk. I hope you're not expected to sit at your desk in your office and grind. Um, and instead law firms can start to show some grace to their associates, to the, to the women, to the moms, to the dads, um, and really sort of change the profession as we know it. I also think that it's, well, I hope that it also is going to start to impact legal fees as well. Um, and maybe start to plateau, you know, legal fees, legal services 
can be very, very expensive and can be out of reach for most people that really need them. Um, and so perhaps yeah. without the overhead of that fancy building, um, maybe some of those services, those fees can plateau. I'm not sure they'll drop as much as I think we would all love them to drop, but it would be nice if they quit climbing so high. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because I think the as the world sort of moves forward um, and we realize that like not everyone needs the uh, fancy building in New York or Chicago or L.A., um, you're seeing people move across the country and spread out out of the big cities. And I think that's going to impact a lot of industries. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, we just have we have a, a different world, right, where you realize that, hey, you know, I've been working virtually for four or five years now. And then like every last year, everyone realized, oh, most everyone can work virtually. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. still stuff that has to be done in person. Um, you know, you can't hammer a nail into a wall without actually being there. Haven't figured that out yet. But um, there's a lot of right. services that that you don't have to be in person for. And I think that it does a lot, number of things for leveling the playing field, right? Where, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can actually hire a New York attorney if I wanted to and <laughs> not have to be in New York. Um, right. And I, I guess there's probably a, there's, there's probably state limits for that. You'd have to find someone who is barred in the different, I don't know how that works exactly, but you have to have. Yeah. It depends know, on your practice I don't understand area, that entirely, yeah. but you know what I mean? Yep. 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 Yeah. Well, it also uh, affords so anyways, an opportunity like it, for that New York changing... attorney. I was going to say it also affords that attorney, that New York attorney um, to go to Wyoming or go to Montana or go to Nebraska, go wherever they want and take their knowledge and expertise um and still practice what they love without um being in a big city or maybe they want to you know go live in an rv and travel around and they can work from anywhere they want i mean that's that's what i do more apparent now than it's ever been i mean if you had said that somebody on my team does that she and her family have been traveling around in their rv for almost a year now um she homeschools uh their son and and I get it. So she'll, she'll check in with us from whatever national park they're in. Um, and so I think that, that that's, and, you know, two years ago, if you had said that people would look at you like you're crazy. Um, because it, but now it's like, Oh, that's cool. Have fun. You know, no big deal. It's, it's absolutely like, cause I've been traveling full time for four years and it went from the last three years. People are like, well, that's nuts. How are you doing that <laughs> to, Oh, of course. Right. <laughs> right. Like, cause that's what everyone's doing. Right, right. <laughs> so we're no longer special anymore, um, <laughs> which is cool because I think I think you know more people getting to travel and experience and have more time for recreation for their family can be nothing but good for just our society as a whole. So, anyways, um, I think there's there's a lot of benefits to that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not losing ourselves in work. So right, right. So my my next question for you is is about your uh, superpowers, right? And we talk on this show, every iconic hero has a superpower, right? Whether that's a fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, right? And that's either a skill or a set of skills that you were either born with or you developed over time that allow you to help your people slay their villains and come out on top in their own journeys. And so the way I like to think about it is if you look at all the skills that you developed over your life, you probably have one skill that's sort of like the common thread that ties all of them together. Um, and if you think about it like that, what do you think your superpower is in your legal business? I have an uncanny ability to 
remember many, many things, uh, kind of the most random of details that I can recall on uh, no notice. So for example, um, being in the legal field and being in my role as a paralegal, you are often tasked with working on a ton of different cases or in my, or a ton of different trademarks. Or when I was in private equity, all of these franchisees. And so I had to just, you know, I was probably addressing 15 to 20 things at any given point. And I have the ability to just recall details, um, essentially on a moment's notice. So if I were to get a phone call, um, I would be able to say, oh, you know, thank you for the phone call, Mr. Smith. Yes, back on August 1st, we talked about this. And, you know, here's what I think the next steps are. Um, and so I, and I will say that that's, that's a pretty great superpower in my field. Um, but that's definitely something that's a common thread is just being able to remember uh, all of, all of the, the minutia in a sense. Probably irritates your children. They can never win an argument because you know all the details. <laughs> Basically, but they try. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you take just a couple of seconds for our audience who may not be as familiar with the legal field? What is the difference between a lawyer and a paralegal? Right. So good question. So an attorney has gone to law school and they've taken the bar exam, which is this really uh, deluxe test. Over, it's over two days, I believe. Um, where you're expected to uh, be able to apply uh, your, basically you're given a problem and you have to solve it, but you have to use the, the skills that you learned and the argumentative nature um, that you've learned uh, to pass the bar exam. Um, and then you become licensed to practice um, in that particular state. And sometimes you can be licensed to practice in a few different states, but for the most part, it's one state. Um, and then a paralegal um, is really a broad term used for um, an individual who uh, has probably some uh, specialized skills in a particular practice area. Um, so trademarks, personal injury, bankruptcy, immigration, you name it. Um, they uh, work really closely with the attorney. They probably draft the documents for the attorney. Um, my, in my role, I have a bachelor's degree in legal studies, and then I went to get additional paralegal certification from Emory University. Um, sometimes a paralegal will take a registered paralegal test. Um, that is frequently practice area specific as well. Um, one of the things about the legal field that is um, yeah. different, but often misunderstood is that just because you are a paralegal or an attorney, it does not mean that you know everything there is to know about every type of law. So if you, if I'm in the trademark field and I know trademarks really well, I know absolutely nothing about personal injury or bankruptcy. Um, and so you, it's just as you wouldn't go see, yeah. um, you're not gonna go see uh, an orthopedic doctor to solve your heart issue right? They were going to go to a cardiologist for that. Um, the legal field is the same way. You want to, you want to go see the, the specialist um, that, that really practices in your area of law. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So 
bringing us back around to your superpower with the ability to recall details, does does that sort of that that superpower delineate across the skill sets between a a lawyer and a paralegal? Where having that ability to have all the details really allows your clients to lean on you to to know what the details of the case are and what the uh, the the applicable laws and what the, like the stuff that needs to happen for them to actually go and make their arguments and make their cases. Definitely. So a lot of times my clients will call um, just to what I what I like to call pick my brain. So they will call. They'll put time on my schedule and they want to talk about the details of, of their case. Um, but then they also want to know how that applies or what arguments they can make, um, to have their case be more successful. Or, um, if there's something that they're looking at really before it becomes a case, they often want to call me to understand how they should proceed, how they should maybe file, um, their application, their trademark application in a specific way, or if they should list a certain, um, type of good or service in their application because they think it might be more successful. And so I will get a lot of those phone calls um, to say, okay, well, have you ever worked on this type of case? What do you think we should do? Um, And the answer is almost always yes. I've seen it in my career. Here's how we handled it. Um, Have you thought about this approach Um, to to maybe, you know, think outside of the box a little bit. So I get that question frequently. Um, And then I will also be asked very narrow, um, you know, have you worked with this particular platform? Maybe it's social media, maybe it's an online marketplace. Um, Have you ever had a situation where you've had to, you know, have something removed from the platform uh, for a a legal issue? Um, And so I will, and then, you know, then I'll have to go back and say, oh yeah, I did work on that, you know, 10 years ago and this is what we did or whatever the answer might be. So questions like, you know, just as, as a, off the top of my head, one of our brands, we're struggling with um, Amazon because there's a couple of brands that have similar names to ours. Um, they're close, not the same thing. And they keep linking mm-hmm. our brand store names together. And then Amazon keeps selling us, well, it's because it's your fault. Your trademark is too close to someone else's. Mm-hmm. It's not our fault. And we've always been curious, is there is there any sort of legal stuff around that? Because we have, we have trademarks. Right, so we have our trademark, and they're they've approved it on as as our official trademark on on Amazon from the U.S. trade stuff. And I'm just curious, like, is that the type of questions that you get mm-hmm. from from your your lawyers, like really niche kind of stuff? Yeah, so um, definitely, and here's why. So a lot of times, the attorneys that I work with are because they're in. Um, because they practice by themselves, they're not in a law office with you know hundred other attorneys. Um, they don't always have a resource that they can call to get their questions answered. And so a lot of times I become that resource. And so I'll get the phone call from the lawyer that says, "Hey, we've got a client that's having this issue on Amazon. Do, do you have you ever worked on Amazon? Do any do you know anything about it?" And the answer is yes, because. Um, for the past several years, I've worked with a major uh, children's product company with their uh, brand enforcement. So I help them with their YouTube, with their Amazon, with their Etsy, all of these things, um, protecting their brand. And so I've uh, worked a lot with the Amazon team and um, how to reach out to Amazon. Amazon can be um, challenging to uh, correspond with. And so learning all of these things 
um, has become a really useful uh, benefit to my clients because they can call and the chances are I've worked with whatever their problem is. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So you have you have like a breadth of knowledge that sort of has become your superpower and your ability to recall that and bring it back. So I want to talk about the flip side then of your superpower, which is, of course, your fatal flaw. And, you know, just like every Superman has his, their kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her her uh, bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something you've struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things as a, a young entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. One of them was perfectionism, where I could always tweak it a little bit more, or do a little bit other things to it before I shift it and brought it to market. Um, or another one I struggled with for a long time was lack of self-care. Um, where, you know, I, I didn't have good boundaries. So I let my clients walk all over me. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- those kind of things. Um, but I think more important than what the flaw is, is how have you worked to rectify it so you can continue to grow your business and actually turn delegate.legal into the business you want it to be? Hopefully sharing a little bit will help our listeners learn from your experience. Right. So, um, so I have a couple of flaws. Uh, maybe my clients won't hear this. I'm just kidding. Um, so, So the first thing I did when I started my business was um, hire a bookkeeper because I knew out of the gate that finances and numbers were always going to be my kryptonite. They were always going to be the thing that I never really understood and would never put the time into um, to do it properly. And so I kind of knew that was going to be a struggle. And so I wanted to solve for that right away. The other thing that I, that's a, that's a flaw is I, I tend to be a people pleaser. I want to say yes to everything. I want people to know who I am and to know my brand and to say kind things and to say, gosh, Lindsay's really good at what she does. She's a stellar trademark paralegal. Um, you should call her. She gives fantastic service. She's responsive. Um, and that comes out of cost. Um, and I haven't entirely solved for that yet. Um, I mean, you know, hiring my team has helped. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm still inherently the one who says yes to things that I probably shouldn't say yes to. Um, because I'm, I just feel compelled to help everybody, you know, um, I probably give away so much free information that others might charge for. Um, because again, I'm saying yes. And I believe in an abundance mentality. So I think there's always enough to go around, but at what cost? And that's, that's what I'm struggling with. It's that, and I'm giving of myself so much, um, that I then become overwhelmed and probably a bit overworked. Um, and then the lines between family and work, not, they're not even blurred. They're just non-existent. Um, and so that's, you know, to, so, so you're, you know, sacrificing self-care. I get that. Like I, 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 it's the saying, yes, it's the people. Yeah. You feel that, you feel that deep down. I do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And what's, What's interesting um, is I, I have a couple of things that may may help you with that because I like I'm getting to a point where I've started to rectify that in my own business. Um, so a couple of things that have helped me. One of them was becoming really narrow with what we offer in our business, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that's done a couple of things. One is is like if it doesn't fit into this world, um, and for us, um, 
what I've been doing for years is um, what I, I help people build what I call heroic brands, right? And for years, we were getting into the point where we were doing everything from helping them build their website to hiring their photographers to doing their copywriting to developing their products. Like there's just a whole host of things that hap- that go into that. And um, we're getting to the point now where we run just our, our agency just does the podcast distribution, like the actual audience building at the end. Um, and that's our whole business, the push button mm-hmm. podcast. And now it's it's like once we have that one really narrow focus, it's become a lot easier to say no to things that don't fit into that very narrow focus. So that's been really helpful. Um, so, you know, anyone who's listening, who's in that that sort of same position that you and I are, it's really helped me to have a really narrow focus on like, hey, this is the thing that we do. And we do this really well and we do it at a really high level and we do it, um, you know, we do it for clients and here's, you know, you get better results. It's also helped us grow. So that's been mm-hmm. beneficial there. Um, and the other thing that's been really helpful is um, it be, it particularly because we travel and we work from home. Um, and I know since you work from home now, it's, uh, it's useful is to have um, hard limits on your calendar for when you are allow yourself mm-hmm. to have phone calls and other things. And so for me, um, I do a, it's like Monday through Thursday, my office hours, and I take Friday off now, but reducing the office hours that I have. Um, and, you know, when, even when I get a message on Friday afternoon, um, just making sure my clients and everyone that I work with knows like, Hey, you know, these days are days I take for my family and just sort of mm-hmm. training them that way. So they know, um, and then they're not expecting mm-hmm. a message to be responded to, you know, on Saturday night, things like that. Um, and I know it feels bad sometimes to let a message sit there for a couple of days, but once you get used to it, um, <laughs> your clients, they start to appreciate it and they start to realize that like, Hey, you know, he's, um, he's got, you know, the, I don't know what the, what the word is, but they start, they take it as inspiration to do the same thing in their lives and take the time for their families because you're like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is, this is when I work and this is when I have stuff for my home. So anyways, that's been really helpful. Um, and then the other thing that does is it also helps you grow because instead of having an unlimited mm-hmm. amount of time you can spend on your business, you're like, I'm, I have to fit it into these hours. So you start focusing more on what's the important stuff I need to get done during these times. Um, and when you work on more important stuff, you grow instead of working on stuff. That's always just whatever is being reactionary, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I've definitely tried the hours limitation. Uh, but there's a, there's a component of self-discipline that goes into that. Um, and I'm, I'm true. okay at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely block out my calendar from like eight to ten thirty, eight to 10 every morning um, for a host of reasons, whether it's, you know, just sort of getting the kids settled for the day or self telling myself, um, that I'm going to check a certain client's emails at this point. I mean, whatever reason I try to block those two hours out. And then I limit when I take new client calls, like, but again, it's the self-discipline and that's something that I'm still working with, working in, you know, internally on, um, and would say to every entrepreneur having, you know, been doing this for eight months and having just incredible growth, um, in those eight months, it's, um, it's okay. Right. I mean, you'll, you'll get there. And I keep telling myself, you know, some days it's better than others. Um, and when I have a bad day because I did too much, then I know that the next day I need to go to bed earlier or, um, you know, check out a little bit earlier, you know, to, to get the kids to bed or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's setting those boundaries is, um, 
definitely something that I'm continuing to work on. And just being aware of it too, right, is is like the biggest step in the right direction because you know, like, hey, this is a thing I'm working on, and you're putting stuff towards that, um, and and whatnot. That's 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 like the biggest step. And you know, when mm-hmm. you're especially when you're growing a business, sometimes you're going to have a lot of times where you're stretching, right? Where you're putting a lot of time and effort in to grow. Um, but that's you know, it's that whole rubber man rubber band mentality. Sometimes you stretch so you can have um, the big growth, and that's okay, right? It's okay to uh, to sacrifice a little bit of your uh, um, your boundaries and whatnot mm-hmm. in in growth periods because you know it's temporary right and then you can uh, you can set things aside as you grow and move forward right. i'm gonna move on a little bit and talk about your common enemy the uh common enemy is basically every every superhero has an arch nemesis right it's the thing they constantly have to fight against in their world um and in the world of business it takes on a lot of forms but generally speaking we put it in the context of your clients right the people that hire you to do something um, and it's a mindset or it's a flaw that they have that you constantly have to fight to overcome, right? That, so you can actually get them the result that they hired you for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you had like your magic wand and every time your client hired you, you could bop them on the head and not have to deal with that problem. What is that common enemy that you sort of are constantly dealing with with your clients? Trust the system. Uh, so a lot of our clients have not used a team like mine to handle their work. Um, They've done it themselves or they've had one person on their staff um, and they've not used, um, you know, a full group, a full, a full team like we have. And um, so I really need my clients to trust the system, trust that there are 10 women uh, who are there to get the work done and that I'm overseeing them um, and that the projects will get done. And uh, you don't need to micromanage it. You can just trust the system. So, so how, how does that end up looking in, when you're working with clients? How do, you, how do you manage those expectations and help them learn to trust your system? Because um, I know that's, that's pretty common in a lot of areas, when you're do, especially if you're in the service business, um, is getting your clients to like, hey, this is, this is, we, we do these things this way because we know it'll get the result that you want. I know you're not used to it, but you have to learn to trust that. So like we do the same thing um, with our clients because we, you know, we're in the podcasting space and we do a lot of stuff for like, Hey, just, just let our editors do what they do and let our, like, cause you're going to get the result you want if you just let our team do what they're trained to do. Um, so what's your, your advice for people who are in that service space where you have to, you know, train your clients, so to speak, mm-hmm. to, uh, to trust your systems. So my recommendation or my advice would be, um, at the outset of the relationship, not only do you put your best put, best foot forward, you put your whole best self forward, right? You make sure that the client knows that you are responsive, that the work is getting done, that you are meeting or exceeding their deadlines, um, which have to be set in a reasonable manner. So that was one of our flaws was that we were over-promising or under-promising, if you will, whatever. Um, and we just weren't meeting deadlines. And clients were kind of going, well, I thought you had a team. I thought, I-, I thought that you could do this. And we had to adjust those expectations. We had to say, um, you're right. Uh, you know, it won't happen again. But the reality is we've grown so much, which is a fantastic thing. There are more of us now that can offer the service to you, but our delivery times have changed. Um, and so part of it is managing that expectation 
right out of the gate. So your client knows what to expect. They know your delivery time. They know your delivery style or delivery method. Um, and so they're not waiting around wondering what that end product is going to look like. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really helped us um, is after we've been, we've been doing our work for almost a year, um, I went through and we had our, had our team do an audit on like, what are the hours it takes to do certain things? Um, so like now we know how much manpower and how much time it takes to deliver on an hour long video edit, for instance, or how long it takes to do a transcription or how long it takes to do the graphics. Right. And so we have a really good understanding, which helps us in two ways. Um, one, it helps us know how we should price our stuff because we know what the man hours are required to get something done. And then it also helped us on the managing expectations side. We're like, hey, when you submit your episode for this, it's going to take this long to accomplish this stuff and this long to accomplish this thing. Um, and so we have really good, um, it makes it a lot easier to manage expectations once you've been working long enough to just really know what your systems are and how long things take. Have you sort of seen that same thing happen in your business as you've, uh, as you've been getting more and more into it? We're trying. Um, we're drinking from the fire hose a bit. Um, so we're just now starting to pay more, pay closer attention to timesheets for our team. Um, think about how long, how long things should take just from our years of experience at doing them. Um, and then going back to our team and saying, this should really take you an hour, not two. Um, how can we help make you more efficient or what seems to be the struggle? Do you need more training? Do you need, um, is there something that we can do to get that efficiency down? Um, so we can all be more productive and then we can manage better. If we know that it's going to take an hour to get that drafted. Um, and we see the other things that are on your plate, then we can manage that client by saying, okay, we think she'll have it done in you know a day or two or whatever the case may be. Um, but I will tell you, that's something that we are still working through. We have not solved for that yet. Um, and again, when you're drinking from the fire hose, it's, it can be a challenge some days. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely, that's a, it's an early, early business growth problem is learning how, um, cause you know, you're like, we're good at this. We do a great job of it, but like not all the systems are built yet. Not everything is bulletproof. Right. Um, and it's getting there and you're, you know, you got to find where the, uh, where the leaks in the bucket are, so to speak, and where um, where everything sort of fits and how much time it takes. And then, um, you know, one of the things I've realized too is not everyone on your team is going to be you. So you have to, you know, if, if it takes you an hour to do it, maybe it takes someone else with a similar skill set an hour and a half, and you're going to have to average those things out across your team. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a, it's all stuff you sort of have to figure out as you grow. I know because we're still doing that in a lot of ways in our business. Um, and I know it's it's an interesting sort of thing to deal with as a CEO and growing your company is figuring out where all those things are. Because you're like, man, if I could just replicate myself a hundred times, we'd be perfect. Because <laughs> then I know exactly how it all goes down. But that's not the way the real world works. <laughs> yeah. So. so it's it's funny that yeah. you say that because you know I, I earlier I mentioned that the first thing I did was get a bookkeeper. The second thing I did was hire a project manager, not another me, because I knew that at that point, I mean, this was in the fall. I was only maybe a month or two really into this seriously. And I knew that I could do the work. What I couldn't do was keep it all straight. 
And so I brought on a project manager who's now my director of operations and her job was to uh, systemize my company. And so we um, happened to rely very heavily on Trello um, to the extent that I really want to be a case study for a Trello company on what we're doing. Because what we're doing, I think we're, we're sort of taking it to the max. Um, but then, so she's now developed out all of these systems that I never could have done. And I certainly wouldn't have put the time and energy into. I would have kept hacking it all together. Um, and now we're at the, now it's legitimized us as a company because when clients call, we have a very systematic way of doing things that they fall into, right? So that they, they call, they sign up with us. We have onboarding, we have account managers. Um, and that, that really shines with our clients because they see, um, or we give the appearance, uh, that we have our act together. Uh, which goes a long way to brand trust and reputation and all those things that are really important to a new business owner. Yeah, absolutely. And we're sort of the same way. We run our whole business on Trello and build all of our systems on it. And that's one of our, our sales points, actually, is when we, we bring clients on, we show them, I show them anyways, our, it's like here, like these are the systems we build for our clients. We'll build, build building one of these for your show as well. Um, and so much so we've gotten, like, I'm halfway through a course on teaching people how to use Trello to build systems and processes in their business. Cause it's, you know, it's a really robust system if you use it properly. Um, yeah. The, uh, having your systems in place and building those kind of things really helps legitimize you and helps, at least it helps us close deals. And I'm sure it helps you guys do the same thing. So that's really cool. It's been, it's been amazing. And it's not something that I could have done. I mean, if, you know, if I didn't have her, I would probably still be hacking it together and I'd probably be, living in more chaos than I already am. Um, so it's, it's been a very nice addition and it is part of our sales process. You know, when you onboard with us, you pay your onboarding fee. Um, and part of that comes with a Trello board. And these are clients or a lot of our clients don't or haven't quite figured out their own internal systems for their law firm. So when we're coming to them with a developed system that they can then use and interact with us in real time, that goes a long way to trusting the system. You know, yeah. back to the earlier, the earlier point. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I love that you use the term chaos because uh, that's actually the uh, the thing that I teach people in in the course on building systems and processes. I was like, you either going to have what I call poorly managed chaos, or you're going to have solid business systems. And that's sort of, um, it's it's a powerful thing in your business because, um, you know, you can run your business chaotically, um, and a lot of people do. Um, and they struggle, right? They'll, you struggle with growth and whatnot. Um, but once you sort of build systems, it allows you to scale, allows you to have, you know, what you were talking about earlier of the, that big growth, that big growth comes when you have systems, you know, you can trust, and then you can actually tell your clients about, you know, to trust your system because mm -hmm. you have a system in place. Definitely. So I want to move on a little bit and talk about, and now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. 
The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now, back to the Hero Show. Definitely. So, I want to move on a little bit and talk about the flip side of your common enemy. So, if your common enemy is getting your clients to trust the system, your driving force is um, is what you fight for, right? Instead of what you fight against. And so, just like Spider-Man fights to save New York, or Batman fights to save Gotham, or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, what is it you fight for at uh, Delegate.Legal? And your mission, so to speak, what is it? My mission is to give solo practitioners and uh, small firms access to senior level IP paralegals. Um, I, intellectual property is such a niche in the legal field that um, professionals are well compensated and not readily available because a lot of the corporations or bigger law firms will scoop them up and, and pay them a, a premium price. And for most of our clients, that's not an available option to them. And so I want to give them that access. The other thing I want to do is give them a resource to ask questions. Um, growing up, so to speak, in um, and by growing up, I mean after graduating college and starting out my career, um, in the law firm life, and even in some of those early corporate experiences, I believe that hallway conversations are invaluable invaluable. And when you are in, when, when you're in your own law firm, uh, or even in a small firm, you don't always have that at your fingertips. You can't just go down the hall and, you know, stick your head into somebody else's office and get that question answered. Um, and I want to be that resource. I want, I want to be available to answer questions and to ultimately help these attorneys provide the best service and the best experience to their clients um, to grow their practice. Again, I believe in an abundance mentality. There's more than enough work to go around for anyone and everyone that wants it. Um, But I want to be sure that when you go get that work, you're doing everything you can to be the best attorney that you can be and to provide your client with the best service and the best resources um, to get their brands uh, secured and then to uh, continue to protect their brand after they've got it after it's registered. Absolutely. Um, and I love I love the idea of the uh, the hallway conversations and providing that for the smaller law firms. And one of the things that popped into my head too is um, you know be you you have a, a secondary market that you're serving, um, which you know more than just the lawyers that you're providing the services to, but the uh, the team that you're building. Um, you said you have 10 women already um, on, on your team and being able to take their career and their skills and be able to still apply them and take advantage of the new world opportunity that we have um, 
with, uh, <laughs> with, you know, post COVID legal services, like you were talking about earlier and still apply and build and grow their, their, uh, their life, which is, you know, I don't know if you've th- thought about your business that way, but it's at least another, a whole nother segment of the market that you're, you're impacting without them having to go out and build their own business. Yes. I mean, being a freelance or, you know, a contract paralegal is, um, not a new concept. There are definitely companies that are doing it. It's relatively new in the IP field, which is partly why we're having such success. Um, but to be able to give women the opportunity to stay home, if that's what they want, not to lose their careers, they're still very much working. They're still very much earning as much money as they want to earn, but they can stay home and do it. And if that law firm says that everybody's going back in the office on September 1st, because that's the arbitrary deadline for ending this. Um, and if they don't want to do that, then we're here for them. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many phone calls I get from paralegals who want to join our team. And I wish I could take everyone right now. The budget wouldn't allow for that, but that also gives me hope that as we grow, um, that people are seeing the value in what we're doing and they're seeing that there is a world where they can work from home all the time and they don't have to be in that law office or they don't have to be in any office for that matter. Um, and it can be on their time doing the, the work that they love. Yeah, that's uh, an incredible place to be, an incredible service to uh, to offer. Um, so I love that you're you're doing uh, you're serving on both sides of that. And it's one of my favorite things about entrepreneurs in general is, uh, you know, and that's why we, we run this show, right? It's the whole idea that, uh, you know, entrepreneurs are not the villains that so many people culturally are, you know, so many times they're made out to be. Um, and it's, uh, it's definitely cool to, to have that, that benefit. I want to talk um, a couple practical things, right? Practical portion of our show, I call this the hero's tool belt. And just like, you know, every superhero has a, you know, an awesome tool belt with gadgets like batarangs or web slingers or laser eyes or big magical hammer. I'm going to talk about top one or two tools you use in your business that you couldn't live without, right? Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar, to your marketing tools, to something you use for your product delivery. I know you already mentioned Trello, anything that you think is essential to getting your job done and doing what it is that you do. Uh, The first thing that we rely heavily on is Slack. Um, We are, you know, when you have a remote team, uh, based in an RV, based in Pennsylvania or Minnesota, um, you have to be able to communicate uh, in real time as much as possible. So we rely heavily on Slack. We also interact with our clients using Slack if they would like. That way our clients have real time access to us. Um, And then the other thing is my notebooks. I have three of them. Uh, Actually, I have six, but I only have three going at the moment. And um, throughout my career, I've often told anyone on my team, if you can't find me, all you have to find are my notebooks. Um, And so that was sort of my my version of succession planning, uh, especially when I was in-house. If you can't find me, just find my notebooks. And that holds true now. Um, Because sometimes you just have to be able to write down something super quick. And, um, you know, yeah. So between Trello, obviously Slack and my notebooks, um, that's what makes the world go round for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, same way here, we got a remote team and, uh, we, we did rely on Slack forever. Um, we actually just recently migrated both of the organizations that I work with off of Slack to another system called twist, um, which you may want to try. And I'll give you one reason. Um, and, 
you know, so you know how, how Slack has, has your three columns, you've got the channels and then you have the content in the channel. And then when you have a, uh, um, what they call mm-hmm. it a thread, it opens up in the third panel. Um, the primary difference between Slack and twist is that that middle channel, like when you're actually in a mm-hmm. channel, you can't talk in that channel. All you can do in that channel is start threads. And then all the conversation happens in the, uh, in the threads. And that made all the difference for our organizations in terms of uh, being able to keep track of everything. Cause it, it does something really, really unique. And that, that it gives you an inbox mm-hmm. at the top of your uh, inbox channel and all the threads that you've been tagged in, you can just click through and follow up on all of them. And it's made all of our teams more, um, what is the word I'm looking for? More, it's, it's, le- it's, more difficult to get lost. Okay. Slack is easy to get lost in, um, and all the different yeah, stuff that's okay. going on. So, anyways, what the way we handled that? Because I, I had one of my organizations was like, like we need to find something different than Slack because we were like we're struggling with it. So I found Twist and I was like, let's just test it for a week. We'll put Slack on pause. We mm-hmm. won't turn it off. We won't do anything with it. We'll just try Twist for a week and commit to communicating in it. We put all the same channels in it and all the same stuff. And I was like, we'll do it for two weeks. We'll follow up in a week. See how everyone thinks. And both times I did that with both organizations, we got a week into it. They were like, get rid of Slack. We don't need that anymore. This is way better. Um, and it's free. Okay. Well, we'll have to try it. Free, same as Slack. And it works the uh, same way where you just have limited history. Worthwhile to test out. Um, same kind of thing. You got your your uh, iPad apps and your iPhone apps and your desktop apps. And you have the same same chat stuff. And it just, it adds a little bit of that magic of email where you have that that like inbox sort of thing. Um, but you get all the benefits of the live, you know, community sort of, uh, you know, uh, live chat system that you have from Slack. So anyways, it's sort of like the best of both worlds, I think. Um, so that's my uh, my recommendation recently for people that are, are as invested in Slack as sounds like you are and we used to be. Um, so worthwhile thing. Good to know. I will <laughs> check it out. So I want to um, talk about a couple more things. One is your personal heroes. Right, so every hero has their mentors. Right, Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi Wan, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, Spider Man had his uncle Ben. Um, who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, um, speakers, or authors? Maybe, maybe peers who are a couple years ahead of you. And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in building Delegate Legal? So, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, if I didn't shout out um, an attorney by the name of Cynthia Lee who was the attorney that first allowed me to learn trademarks. I mean, she saw something in me um, that really changed the course of my career um, and, and taught me trademarks. So she's always been a resource um, and I've always been able to connect with her, at, you know, annual trademark meetings and kind of all those sorts of things. Um, and then this one might be kind of silly, but I have always really admired Sarah Blakely. Um, obviously she's incredibly successful and we all know her and now she's, you know, made her millions, but she also didn't get into law school and look what she's done. Um, and so I sort of use that as a way to say, um, there's more to my story. Um, it, you don't always have to, to do the thing that you set out to do. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, kind of, kind of thinking that it's okay to not take your prescribed path in life or the, or the path that you thought you were going to take. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so Sarah Blakely is, is she's the founder of Spanx or something? Is that right? 
That is correct. Uh, so she, she set out to create a product for women that, um, she was told she couldn't create. I mean, for lack of a, a better way to put it. Um, and clearly she did and clearly it served her quite well. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, then I have one more thing I want to chat with you before we, uh, we wrap this interview and that's your guiding principles. Right. Um, and you know, one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap the interview, I'm going to talk about top one, maybe two principles you use regularly in your life. Um, you know, maybe something you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey. So one of my favorite sayings in life, um, and I think it's been attributed to a couple different people, um, but I think Bobby Knight is one of them, the, the IU basketball coach. And that is the will to win is not nearly as important as the will to prepare to win. And that was something that I was always taught as a child, as I uh, was growing up and in high school sports and then, you know, setting out to earn that college scholarship uh, in athletics. And even today, I always want my team and want my clients um, to understand the preparation, to understand that I am always here I never want my team to think that I'm not an equal, that I'm not, yeah, I might be the CEO and I might, you know, ultimately, you know, write their paychecks, but I also want them to know that I am a team player and that I'm right there with them in the trenches and will step in and get the work done. Um, and that, you know, there are things you have to put in place. You have to prepare for whatever that win is. You know, I know what I want my win to be. But I also know that that's years away and you have to put in all the preparation first and you have to get your foundation and you have to um, work the long hours and really invest in what you're doing um, in order to, to, to get that win. And, um, and that's almost more important than the ultimate end goal is all of those hours that you're putting in on the front end. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of truth to that too. Um, the whole, the preparing to win is more important than the will to win. And, you know, I, I, one of my favorite sayings that goes along with that is, uh, luck favors the prepared. <laughs> um, and you know, people say all the time, well, you're so lucky that you do what you do. And I'm like, it's not really luck. We put a lot of effort into, you know, getting our business to be able to run virtually and so we could travel and do the stuff we want to do while we're running a business and growing it. And, you know, luck favors the prepared. And I think that's, a uh, something that, that more and more people should learn to live by because um, it's, you know, it's that, that whole like picture where people are like, you know, someone looks like an overnight success, but what they don't see is they don't see the years and years and years and years of work that went into becoming an overnight success. Um, and that's pretty much, you know, that it's anyone who has that, that thought that, Oh, they were just lucky or they were just an overnight success or something like that. They're not seeing the whole picture, right? They don't see the, uh, the underside of the iceberg. <laughs> so, so it's very true. I, I couldn't agree more. And I don't think I could have done this five years ago. Um, I think that there is something, um, especially in a business like mine, where you need to have that experience. You need to have, you know, put in the time, the energy, gone through the grind of late, late nights, you know, long hours, um, many attorneys, many, um, environments um in order to get here because i think that brings another level of trust 
and another level of sincerity to my business overall. I mean, when you're hiring us, you're, you're getting me, but you're getting my team and you're getting a combined like 40 years of experience in trademarks or something. And that isn't something that's done overnight. I mean, that's, that's many, many long hours and late nights um, and practice and trial and error. Um, and so that's, there's so much value that goes along with that. Absolutely. So I, I completely agree. And I really appreciate you coming on to the show and sharing your story with us today. So that's basically a wrap on our interview, but I do finish every interview with a simple challenge I call the heroes challenge. And I do this, um, it's sort of a selfish thing to get uh, access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own, because not everyone is out looking to get on podcasts like you might be. Um, So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come on our show and share their story? Um, I'm thinking. So there is an attorney. Um, her name is Sonia and she is also in the trademark space. Um, her story is, uh, really fantastic because she saw a need. So she was a practicing attorney, but she saw a need for additional education for attorneys. And she took it upon herself to create a vast library of courses and trainings and um, products that teach attorneys trademarks, um, which is a new practice area for most of them, um, and really expand the opportunities that are available to these attorneys. Um, And so I think that there are many attorneys that are forever indebted to her. Um, She certainly was um, somebody who helped me get Delegate.Legal off the ground. And um, I love when people think outside of the box and become perhaps an unsuspecting entrepreneur. I'm not sure that she um, set out to be that way, but she's certainly become that. And I think it's, um, I think it's, it's pretty amazing. And, um, you know, she's, the things that she has done for the trademark community are, are pretty spectacular. That's awesome. Yeah. So we'll reach out um, later and see if we can get an introduction to her. Um, and maybe maybe she'll come on and, and, and say um, tell us her story. That'd be awesome. If not, that's a, not too big of a deal, but we try. Uh, so what I want to do to just finish off the interview is, you know, just like in comic books, there's always the crowd of people who, uh, you know, who clap and cheer for the, the hero's acts of heroism. Um, we want to know where people can find you if they want your help in the future. Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, you know what? Um, I would love to get your help um, as an attorney to get, you know, trademark work done. Um, And I think more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to reach out and light up that bad signal? Sure. Um, So my website is delegate.legal. Pretty simple to remember. And, um, you know, we work with companies. Um, So any, really any corporation, if you've got um, an in-house attorney or if you um, are looking for some trademark help for your portfolio, um, we definitely love working with companies. But with attorneys um, in particular, our, our typical client is somebody who's got their own firm or maybe one or two. Um, they are looking to um, what I like to call bring joy back in their life. So they are becoming overwhelmed with the amount of things that they have to do to run their own firm 
and they want to start to delegate that out so they can have some of their own time back. They want to, you know, maybe they love talking to their clients, but they don't love drafting trademark applications. We can do that. Maybe they love drafting trademark applications, but they don't necessarily want to do client intake calls and answer client questions all day. We can do that. And so our mission is really to help our attorneys bring joy into their life by delegating out everything they don't want to do. Um, and so that's really how we like to get started is, is to work with our clients on that. Um, again, you know, delegate.legal um, is really the best place to find us. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, your, your name is just perfect for what it is that you do, right? If you want to get rid of those things you don't like, go to delegate.legal. So um, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Lindsay. I really appreciate getting to hear your story um, and hear what it is that you do. Um, so it's been fantastic. Um, do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience before we hit this uh, stop record button? Don't be afraid to delegate. And when you do, remember that process is king. So when you go to delegate out that first project, make sure you have a process in place for what that's going to Awesome. I couldn't agree with that more. Process is king. I love that. Um, so um, thank you again for coming on today, Lindsay. Really appreciate it. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you.